Well, church, the message we have tonight is called, My Trust is in the Lord. And it comes to us from Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 to 8. Now, you're going to need a Bible. We're going to look, you're going to see this message isn't coming from, from my thoughts or my ideas. I pray this message comes directly from these four verses. So you will need a Bible And if you don't have a Bible, put your hand up, raise it high, right? Don't be shy, raise it high. Ushers are coming around, they're going to give you a Bible. Our passage is going to be on page 357 of those Bibles, okay? And if you don't have a Bible at home, if you don't have a Bible of your own, that is our gift to you. We would love you to take that Bible home and read it so you can be in God's Word. We believe that is essential. It's essential to be in God's Word daily, and so that is our gift to you. So as you turn there, as you turn to Jeremiah chapter 17, I want to ask you to think about something in your head for a second. Think about this. When you hear the word trust, okay, when you hear the word trust, what first comes to your mind. What if I say trusted information? Or what about trusted news? There's a lot of controversy over media, over who's biased, who's not, what side of bias are you on, what's fake news, what's, what's to be trusted, right? what, can, what can be trusted, what can't be trusted. What about trusted people? If I were to ask you to think about trusted people, there's probably even more controversy over like, who, public figures, politicians, people who you can trust more than just what you can trust. Trust is a word we throw around pretty flippantly in this world today, right? It's a word we throw around a lot. What about people in your own life? What about a coworker or a, a boss or any, any of you that are still in school? What about a teacher? What about people really close to you, like a friend or a family member? I'm sure that we can all say we've put our trust in someone only to have it betrayed. Or even maybe just to have it not fulfilled by a, a misunderstanding or, or just a mistake. In fact, I'm certain that we have all even been the one who hasn't followed through on something and who's let someone down, right? We've been untrustworthy. We've betrayed people's trust. Charles Spurgeon, a uh, uh, preacher, a gifted preacher uh, from the late 1800s, said this, when you stand before men, ask little and expect less. But when you stand before God, ask much and expect more and believe that he is able to do for you exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. When you ask of God, ask according to his word, ask for what he's promised, but expect that your understanding of God and his plan is minuscule compared to how great he is. And so expect when you ask of God for him to fulfill it perfectly, even if it's not the way or what you asked for, expect much from God. You see, Jesus is the creator, the sustainer of all things, and God alone is truly trustworthy. You see, that's his sovereignty. Not only is he powerful, yes, he's all-powerful, 
But if you, even just being all-powerful doesn't mean he's going to act good, but he is good. He is perfectly good, perfectly loving. That's what it means by God's sovereignty. And if God, is, God alone is the sustainer of all things, then he alone is trustworthy. He's perfectly good, perfectly loving. Now, of course, I'm sure a lot of you in the room here are going to agree with me on that, that God is good, that he's sovereign, that he's trustworthy. Right? You're going to agree with me on that. But in the moment, are we really acting in belief of it? Right? Moment by moment, when, there's some, when a problem arises, is our first response to go, it's okay, God is sovereign. I mean, it should be. I, I, I pray that in my life, it's, I'm increasing in that. But, but if we're honest, you and I have a big problem. It's this, it's unbelief. It's unbelief in that. We know it's true in here, but in the moment, are we really acting in belief that it is true, that God is sovereign? Or are we turning to our own strength first, trying to solve a problem ourselves first? You see, our problem is unbelief, and the result is this. We turn from God constantly, and it leads to a fear of man, fear of people, right? Fear of circumstance, fear of the future, anxiety about what if, what if. We put our trust in people or ourselves who will ultimately always fail. We make man big, and we make God small in our hearts. And, and ultimately, what this leads to, it leads to fruitlessness, this is what the Holy Spirit inspired Jeremiah to write uh, for us in our passage today. That because of the people's turning away from God in unbelief, they will be desolate and fruitless. They won't enjoy the blessing of bearing the good fruit of God's glory that they were called to in church. This is the same mission that we have been called to today. It was written for a different people but it's the same mission. God's mission has not changed. And so as you are turning there in your text, I want to, uh, I want to tell you what, the, what, what we've gathered the big idea is from these four verses, okay? If you get nothing else, this is kind of the theme that everything is going to hinge around. And it's this. Because fruitfulness is from God alone, you must trust in him alone. Fruitfulness is from God alone. You must trust in him alone. If you're able, please stand with me as we honor the authority of God's word and read together. Starting at verse 5, we read this. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. This is the word of the Lord. Please take your seats. So let's get some context. The whole book of Jeremiah, the whole book is a warning to the people of Judah of their impending destruction and exile if they don't turn away from their disobedience to God. You see, at this time in their history, uh, they had rejected God's law 
right? They had rejected the whole of God's law. Uh, They were worshiping all kinds of idols and false gods. And they were mistreating the poor. They were oppressing the poor and the weak. Not only is that terrible, they're also commanded to love the poor, to support the poor. That's part of God's command. And they were oppressing them, trying for their own way and their own selfish ambition. God called Jeremiah to proclaim the blessing of returning to God and his way. And the curse, the warning of the curse of continuing to reject him. And ultimately, though, despite Jeremiah's pleas for repentance, they did not turn from their sin, and God allowed the Babylonians to conquer Judah and destroy the temple and take most of the population off into exile in Babylon. That's what happened. This is, this is God's... Uh, warning from Jeremiah, and and just uh, take a picture in your head for a second of Jeremiah's uh, patience and perseverance in the Lord, because he was told, you're going to proclaim this message of hope and of truth. You're going to plead with the people to return to glorifying God, and none of them are going to listen. Jeremiah knew this ahead of time, like at the outset. Imagine if you've got a project on the go, right? You're like, yes, I know I'm called to do this thing, and God's like, yeah, you are, but like no one's going to listen. No one's going to appreciate it. It's, it's going to fall on deaf ears. But look at, look at God's perfect plan and his sovereignty. We have God's word. We have this story from God's word, which is true, that we can use to look and examine our own hearts and be warned the curse of trusting in our own strength. You see, fruitfulness is from God alone. You must trust him alone. So are you? Are you trusting him alone? Because the first thing we see from the first two verses of our text tonight is this. We see that trusting in self leads to a cursed life. The cursed life of trusting in self, verses 5 to 6. You see, trusting in our own strength does not bring God's blessing. So who are you turning to? Ask yourself that question. Who are you turning to? Let's read verses 5 and 6. Thus says the Lord... So all scripture is God's word, right? All scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for training in righteousness. Okay? This isn't saying like, oh, this part here is more important. This is is one of those like, listen up. All of this is important. Here, I'm about to summarize this into a, a, a succinct teaching. When you hear, thus says the Lord, it's, hey, eyes up front, pay attention, okay? That's what this means. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. You see, the heart turned away from the Lord. You'll see it on the screen. It'll do these four things. These aren't my ideas. It's four things we see right from the text. The first thing is this, the heart turned away from the Lord will be cursed. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. See, James 4, 6 tells us God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So cursed is the opposite of blessing. Having a blessing is having God's grace, his undeserved favor on us. Being cursed isn't just not being blessed. It's not neutral. It's the opposite of blessing. 
Right? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Being cursed is under the opposition of God. A holy God, we've all agreed he's sovereign. We just all don't believe it in the moment, right? We've agreed he's sovereign. So if he's in control, how do you think it's going to go for you if you are being actively opposed by a holy God? It's not going to work for you. The heart turned away from the Lord will be cursed. Number two, you'll see this in verse five, and curses the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. The heart turned away from the Lord will only have flesh strength. The flesh there means trusting in the body and the mind alone. If you're trusting in your own strength, all you have is your own meager strength. That's it. That's all you have. The heart turned away from the Lord will be cursed, will only have flesh strength. And in verse 6, we see this. He will not see any good come. You see, only God is good. And all good things are from God. If we're not trusting in God, if we're not trusting in his strength, we won't see any true good come. And finally, this, the heart turned away from the Lord will not bear fruit. Verse 6, we see this. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land Parched means dry, it means desolate. Uninhabited means without life, without any life. There's no fruit where there isn't any life. You agree? Fruit doesn't just magically appear. There has to be life for fruit to appear. You see, Scripture just, just draws this out perfectly, an uninhabited salt land. So I was trying to think, like, what does that, what does that look like? You're going to see a picture on the screen. This here is the Bonneville Salt Flats. It's in Utah. It is a hundred square kilometers of ancient seabed. It's, it's dried up. It's so flat. It's so flat. First off, you can see the curve of the earth with your naked eye. It's that big. Right? It's so flat. It's actually the perfect place for race cars to set land speed records. Okay, you don't want to hit so much. It's, like it's completely barren, right? completely without life. You don't want to hit so much as a blade of grass if you're traveling at over, literally over 700 kilometers an hour on the ground. I, th- I think actually the, the most recent record is like near 1,000 kilometers an hour. That's crazy. That's 10 times the speed you drive on the highway or like eight times the speed for some of us, I'm sure. Yeah, that brings up a whole other thing. Speeding is sinful, right? You're not obeying the law, the authority set up. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's something we struggle with, yeah. So at three times the speed that most of us, eight times the speed that most of us drive, or you don't want to hit a single blade of grass. It might be a great place for a race car, but, but how would you like to live there? You can't. To visit, I I was doing some research on it, to visit for a day of of speed trial testing, they have to bring like a minimum, a minimum of 30 liters of water per person because you sweat so much. You got to bring your own shade. You got to bring your own food. You got to bring all your tools, everything. For the cars, they have to bring so much fuel because in the sun, the fuel evaporates just sitting there. You can't live here. You can't survive here, but scripture tells us that trusting in our own strength, it's not just visiting here. It's not visiting a place like this. What does it say? Look at the text. 
It says, he shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. We're dwelling in the parched places away from God, away from the source of life and of strength. You see, the world tells us that's exactly where we want to be. The world tells us, no, 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 no. You need to believe in yourself, right? If you just believe in yourself, if you just trust me, how people say, trust me, trust me, trust me all the time. It's flippant. Like most of the time I wouldn't trust me. It's not like, honestly, most of the time that people say, trust me, you're like, but you've provided no reason for me to. Right? You've actually maybe even provided ample evidence for me not to trust you. And saying trust me is a way to try and get street cred back. That's not a good look. The world says believe in yourself. Trust your gut. Yeah, trust your gut. Trust your heart. What does scripture say about the heart? The heart is evil. It's deceiving. Yeah. Right? When we trust in our own strength and not in the word of God, what do we do? We make man big. We, right? we make people big, and we make God small. When we trust in our own strength, not in the word of God, we make man big, we make God small in our eyes and in our hearts. We think people are somehow going to fulfill what only Christ truly can. You see, Jesus is our only hope for salvation, for abundant life, because you and I, we can never be good enough on our own strength to please him. No amount of seeking approval or favor from people will ever satisfy the longing that's in our hearts for the love of Christ. No amount of trying to be good enough on our own ways, our own strengths, can ever overcome our need for Jesus Christ. You see, I'm sure, like me, you, you probably struggle with this every day. It's especially hard wanting the approval of others as like a validation of my effort or my performance. Is that true for you? Like I use, it's, I, I know it's not right, but I use that as my metric all the time, right? All the time. It's, it's, do people like me? Am I pleasing them? Does that validate my effort or what I'm doing, right? You see, the bent or the, the, the natural temptation of my flesh is to, in my own pride, it's my own pride that I think I can do anything in my own strength. The temptation of, of my flesh is to need people to approve of me. Is that true for you? How about that? Does that lead to, does that lead to anxiety for you? Anxiety over approval, over people not liking you? Where is it hindering you? Where is it hindering you in sharing your faith? Like, what will people think of me? I, I want people to like me. How is, how is that going for you when you know that you want to stand for what's right, when you know that what someone's telling you or asking you to endorse is sinful? Right? If you're trusting in your own strength, you're not standing firm on the foundation of Scripture and of what God says is true. In the moment, that's hindering your faith. That's hindering you sharing your faith. How is seeking the approval from others hindering you from knowing and growing into who you truly are, created by God perfectly with no mistakes to glorify Christ? Where are you making others' approval your strength or making your own ability to impress others your strength? 
This week preparing for this message, I, I was increasingly convicted more and more as I went over it every time, like, where am I trusting my own strength to overcome sin? Like, don't underestimate the power of sin in this world. It's been defeated by Christ, but it still has influence for a time. We have access to the strength of God. We have access to God's strength that has defeated sin and will overcome sin in our life. Where are you struggling with that, one, that sin that you just can't break, that's recurring, 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 where you need to just pray and give it to God and ask in repentance, in confession first, in repenting, saying, God, I, this is my sin and I can do nothing. I can do nothing, but I know that you've forgiven me. I know that you can do everything and I need you, Lord. Where are you not turning to God to overcome sin? You see, fruitfulness is from God alone. You must trust in him alone. Because if not, we have the cursed life of trusting self. But here comes the great news. This is the great news. In verses 7 to 8, we see this. The blessed life of trusting in God. You see, trusting in God will always bring his blessing. Is your heart turned to him? See, we're going to see five things that the heart turned to the Lord will do. Let's look at our text. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots into the stream. It doesn't fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green. It's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Well, that sounds a lot better. That sounds a lot more hopeful. The heart turned to the Lord will do this. Number one, will trust in his strength. Verse seven says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. Okay, those two things look kind of like they're basically the same thing, right? Sort of, there's a little difference here. When our trust is in the Lord, it's, it's our trust is in what we've seen, what he's done. We've seen him work, we've seen him be faithful and we trust him. When our trust is in the Lord, it's that, God, you've been faithful, and I trust that you'll continue to be faithful. I've seen it. When our trust is the Lord, we're trusting in who he is, not just what he's done, but just who he is. How do we know who he is? From his word. We know his character. We know that he's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, fully good. And so knowing that, knowing who he is, we know we have no reason to doubt we know that his character is unchanging. He always acts perfectly loving. And so we can always perfectly trust him. The heart turned to the Lord will trust in his strength. Verse 8. The heart turned to the Lord will not fear trials. It says he's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes. Heat's coming. Oh, look, all the water over here on the plain is drying up. The salt flat already dried up long ago. That's been, you know, millennia. That's okay because the stream's right here. Will not fear trials. When the heat comes, the opposition, the refining trials, when they come, we don't have to fear. Now, now these trials that come, right, we talk about refining trials. This is not 
right? Here's some, here's some real bad theology. Oh, God is testing me to see if I'll be faithful. Oh, God is testing me to see if I'll grow. That, that's real bad theology. We've already said God is all-knowing. He knows. Listen, God isn't like, oh, I'll test them and see if they're faithful. No, God says, I know there is sin in this world. And just a little while longer, I have overcome the world. I am redeeming more to me. Just wait a little longer, but know that I'm with you. When the trial comes, it's not God saying, oh, I'm going to test you again, test you again, test you again. It's no, listen to this church. God is so holy that even sin in the world, which is disgusting and filthy, even even when the trial comes from sin, he is so powerful, he redeems that still for our good and his glory. He can even redeem sin in the world to grow us in glorifying him. And maybe we won't see a massive deliverance from a trial we're in. We might not see that because God is all-knowing and I am not at all-knowing, right? God is all-knowing and I don't know anything. And so I trust that in the trial, he is growing me so that maybe the next trial that comes, I'll know, God, you were faithful then, you'll be faithful now. Okay? Despite the trial, God is holy. The heart turned to the Lord, will trust in his strength, will not fear trials, and this will be refreshed in him. Verse 8 says, He doesn't fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green. You see, when we're in the word, when we're abiding in the word, like the tree abiding in the source of life, we will be refreshed in him. The source of life is Jesus Christ. We will be refreshed in him. Trust in his strength. We won't fear trials. We'll be refreshed. The heart turned to the Lord will this, will not be anxious will not be anxious. We'll turn for a second to Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7. It says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And here's the result. The result of being thankful to God and trusting him, verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The heart turned to the Lord will not be anxious. And finally, we see this. The result of turning our hearts to God, verse 8, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The result is that we will bear fruit. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, Scripture uses this this picture of fruit really often. The, The fruit on a tree is the useful result It's the result. It's the work that it performs, right? The result is the fruit. The tree that's healthy, that has life, bears good fruit. Or if it's not an edible fruit tree, it bears a seed, which is still fruit, right? It produces good things. Scripture uses the analogy of fruit to mean the result. The result of the Holy Spirit working in us is the Holy Spirit's fruit, we will be increasingly growing in what Galatians 5 tells us, in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. The necessary result of turning to God is that we will see that we grow 
in love. We'll grow more joyful, more peaceful as we learn to trust him. See, it says here, the scripture says uh, in verse 8, look at the text. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. We're going to see a picture here on on the screen. Just look at that picture for a moment, okay? Look at that picture. Like, the picture of the salt flats, like I was parched. I don't know if you hear my voice. I'm like, ah. like I, I felt dry just looking at that. A picture like this, I want to build like a little cabin up there. And I think, oh my goodness. I feel like I've had a, a drink and like a fresh breath of mountain air seeing this picture. This is trusting in the Lord. Actually, I think this is Colorado. But trusting in the Lord looks like this compared to the salt flats. Okay. Any analogy to try and show God will ultimately fail because God is holy and mighty, but that's pretty cool, and God made that. See, really look at the text here, church, and think about which place you would rather live. Which place would you rather dwell? You see a tree near a stream of water with lush green leaves, you see, the tree is not in its, in its, the tree's confidence, it's not in itself. The tree isn't like, look at me, I'm a, I'm a big tree. Well, the same tree, if it tried to grow in the salt flats, it's not getting anywhere. Right? You could take that same seed that fell, drop it in the salt flats, it's going to turn to dust. The tree's confidence isn't in itself. The tree's confidence is in the stream of life that it's close to. It's how close it is to the source of life, of living water. This right here, this is your life abiding in Christ, depending on his strength and growing closer and closer to him. You see, not only is the tree's confidence not in itself, but how close it is to the stream of life, we also need to know this, church. The tree's confidence is not in its own ability to be close to the stream. Our confidence is not in our ability to be close to God. Our confidence is in God's love for us that he says if we abide in him, he will be close to us. Your religious piety, how, how good in your own strength, in your own effort of a Christian you can be, it's not, it's not going to be good enough for you. It's not going to work. You and I have no strength to draw near to God. But God says that when we draw near to him, when we abide in his word, he is faithful to draw near to us. The tree's confidence isn't in its own ability to be close to the stream. When a tree starts growing its roots, it doesn't go, and I'll just shift my roots this way. The tree's planted. It grows where it's put, right? This confidence is not in how close it can be. And our confidence is to be in God himself. You see, when the drought comes, when the trial, the test, the opposition, when the hardship comes, is your reaction to worry? Is it to fear? Is your reaction to get anxious? It doesn't have to be that way, church. It doesn't have to be that way at all. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is a promise. We see it again and again in scripture. This is a promise. Humble yourself. Put your trust in him. Trust in God's strength. This is a hard one. Trust in God's timing. Now, it's not easy. It's not easy, but it's right. Trust in his will, his way, 
Trust in his sovereignty that he's in control and he's good and loving. He only gives good gifts to those he loves and he loves you if you're in Christ Jesus. And you can say, okay, that sounds like the right thing to do, but it also sounds really hard. It is hard. It is. But here's how we do it. There are two things we need to recognize in order to draw near to God and trust in his strength, his timing, his will. First this, we need to recognize God is big, right? And man is small. God is big, people are small. Small in opinion, small in opposition, small in ability. I am small in my ability, I am small in my strength, and God is big. We recognize God is big, man is small. And then we recognize this, that true peace is the fruit. Fruit in scripture means the result. True peace is the result, the fruit of trusting in Christ's gift of salvation. True peace is the result, increasingly, of trusting in Christ's gift of salvation. For believers, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, if you've believed in him for salvation, you have the Holy Spirit working within you. As you trust him more and more, you will bear the good fruit of Jesus' character. Not instantly, The Holy Spirit is so kind that he doesn't reveal all of our sin all at once. We would be crushed and utterly destroyed. But the promise is that when we believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit does continue. Some people so hardly hardly noticeable at first. Others, it seems like they took a leap into God's arms. Everyone's journey is different. Everyone has trials and troubles and areas that we find a lot harder to give up and trust God, but the Holy Spirit will grow us into Christ's likeness. Christ who exemplifies the fruit of the Spirit perfectly. You will bear the good fruit of Jesus' character. Now listen though, if you haven't believed in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin and the gift of eternal life, first off, just as we prayed At the start, I am so glad that you're here. God is sovereign. He's good. Nothing happens by accident, and neither do you. You're here because of God's grace. Okay? So I'm glad you're here. But if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you are dwelling in that desolate place. Maybe we can put the picture of the the salt flats back up. You are dwelling in that desolate place. You are trying in your own strength to conjure water and fruit out of dry salt. Church, Jesus says this, come to the stream of life. Come to Jesus Christ himself who loves you, who suffered and died and was raised again to life to offer you salvation if you believe. If you believe in him, and if that's you, I would love to speak with you after, after the service. I, I'll be up front. Other leaders will be here. I would love to speak with you about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The, the person you came with, if they invited you, I'm sure would love to speak with you about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But come to Christ. Come to the stream of life. Right? Stop in your own strength trying to conjure a drink out of dry salt. It's not going to work. You see, true fruitfulness is from God alone. We must trust in him alone for it. Struggling in our own strength will never produce any good. But turning to Jesus, depending on his strength, will only and always bring his blessing and bear the good fruit 
of Jesus Christ's glory. That's what we were made to do. That's what we're fulfilled by. Nothing else will satisfy us. Nothing else will fulfill us. But Jesus in his kindness calls us to believe in him, be saved, and glorify him. So as we turn to Jesus for his strength, it's very appropriate that we remember now his work on the cross through communion. You see, communion is a time to remember the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the sacrifice that he made on the cross over 2,000 years ago to pay the penalty for our sin the penalty that we deserved and the debt that we could never pay. You see, he suffered and died so that we may receive forgiveness of sin and walk in freedom of new life in him. Scripture says in Isaiah 53, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. The two elements that we remember him today with, they represent just that. The bread represents his body, which was crushed beyond recognition for us. And second, the juice, which represents the blood that was shed to cover every sin that we ever have or ever will commit. That we may walk in victory over sin and freedom in our new life in him, trusting his strength, just as we've spoken about. So as we take this together, scripture commands us to examine ourselves, examine our hearts. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight to 29 says, let a person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. On himself. So in these next few moments, we're going to pray. Let's be still, be discerning before the Lord and ask him to examine our hearts as we pray. Just as we opened our our time together with Psalm 139, search me, O God, pray like this and know my heart. Test my anxious thoughts and see if there be any offensive way in me. Lead me into the path of everlasting. As the Lord reveals these things in your heart, Take time to confess and repent of them in the quietness of your heart so that today as you hear his voice, you don't harden your heart against him. Now for non-believers, the remembrance of Christ's death through communion is meant only for those who have personally confessed and trusted in him and surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ as their savior. So maybe you're here today, and as we've said, you've never taken that step of trusting in Jesus for your, as your Savior and surrendering to him. If that's you, I'm, I'm glad you're here, but you, and you are so loved. You're, we're so thankful to have you here. We really, really are. I'd, I'd ask that you don't participate in, in taking the bread and the juice of communion, but just t- take time to pray, okay? And I would, I would love to speak with you after about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. So let's take time to pray and then we'll, we'll take these elements together.